You're listening to the Bethel University Chapel Podcast, recorded from the Everstwar Chapel Fine Arts Center in Mishawaka, Indiana. Thanks for listening. Father, I want to thank you so much for my brothers and sisters here. I want to thank you for our few minutes together this morning, and I pray that no matter what we're dealing with, no matter what we're going through, uh, sin that we are uh, wrestling out of and fighting our way through, sins committed to us uh, uh, or done by us that we are uh, running from and running towards you, I pray that we would know that there is not a blessing that we're fighting to earn, but it's been given to us in advance in this current state. Uh, you see the forever in us right now, and sometimes we look around and only see right now. Help us to see like you see about us, our situation, our calling, our vocation, and where you may tell us to go. Uh, in our ill-equippedness for the things and the dreams we have, let us know that the equipper of all things is not going to leave us out back if we walk in obedience. In Jesus' name, amen. Man, uh, I think I've got, yeah, I've got like 20 minutes, so I'm going to fly. Uh, but if, again, if you're able to come out to Vespers tonight, I'll be here for that. I'll be wandering around with Sean on campus and eating up all the food in your cafeteria and stuff. And so I'll be around. If you want to holler and say what's up, I'd love to talk with you. Oh, I'm really bad at, at, at shameless plugs, but let me throw this out there. I have, that song is out already, but I'm putting out a live version of it with my band and like saxophones and other crazy stuff next Friday. Uh, if you would like to pre-save that and let Spotify just bump the algorithm up, go to my Instagram at Legend TV, L-E-G-I-N TV. It's not Legend, E-N-D, it's L-E-G-I-N, Nigel, backwards, TV, uh, and, and in the bio, like pre-save it, and, and I'd, love your, I'd love your support there. And I got some shirts and hoodies and stuff. Come see me after. Um, the reason I go by Legend, simply because, if you don't know, my name is Nigel. Legend is Nigel spelled backwards. And it just says that Christ took my life and turned it around. That's the whole point. So when I rap, when I preach, when I go to a church or a prison, uh, I just want my, everything I do to be a testimony to I'm only here because Jesus turned me around because I was going in the opposite direction, right? I had no interest in, in Jesus or ministry at all. And I'm here because he changed my life. I love him. And now I want to tell everybody about him. But we're talking about Samaria in, in, uh, in, in uh, this your Go series, your Go Missions Conference, which is great. Um, what about, what if God calls you to go somewhere you don't want to go or you shouldn't go? You don't want to go there, you shouldn't go there, et cetera, et cetera. I think that, just to spoil the surprise at the end, is just that God is going to call you to do tough things sometimes because he wants to take you somewhere that you're not comfortable going and take you out of your comfort zone to reach people that you normally wouldn't reach. He's going to call you out of your comfort zone to connect you with people that others are going to avoid. And in order to do that, I think God has to deal with you. So I'd like to tell you a couple of stories personally that then turned into me going to a place, uh, which is the part of this, like going out from your home, right? Your Jerusalem, going somewhere. I'm gonna lead with some stories that are personal, hoping you can apply that to your life and whatever God is doing with you. And then whatever dream or vision you already have or that God may bring to you later, you can step into that knowing that if God met me personally, he'll take care of me there so I can t help others personally. In John 4, uh, Jesus meets a Samaritan woman. And you guys are at Christian college. I would imagine some of you have heard this story in some way, shape, or form. So I'm not going to do a deep dive into it. We're going to skip through it a bit, pull some points out. But I'd encourage you, uh, read through it sometime this, uh, today or later on today, man, and, and, and see how God would apply this in your life. So in John 4, uh, the Pharisees are giving Jesus a little bit of trouble. Uh, he's getting popular, so it says Jesus left where he was, and it says in four he had to go through Samaria. Now, either if he had to go geographically, maybe, but probably didn't have 
to have to go because what Jews would do is they didn't like the Samaritan. They hated, they hated the Samaritan so much that they would sometimes travel an extra couple of days just to not step foot on their soil because they were dirty half-breeds and they hated them, and in return, the Samaritans hated them back. So when it says he had to go, I think Jesus had to go because of the mission, not because it was his only option. Maybe I'm wrong, but it, uh, I think that's the part of it. So John 4 says, when he left that situation with the Pharisees, he had to go through Samaria, that the kingdom demanded as much. Uh, verse 7, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. That was intentional because they couldn't handle this conversation. Verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? This is absolutely impossible. We shouldn't be having this conversation. It says, for the Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. A couple of things here. It's noon, uh, so you don't go draw water at noon. You draw it in the, in the early part of the day when it's cool. She's coming alone because, as, as you may know or will find out, she was ostracized in her community. She'd done a bunch of things that weren't great, whether it was just her living immorally or things that were done to her. We don't fully know, but she was an outcast. So she's coming at noon at the hottest part of the day to be by herself because nobody, she doesn't want to go with them for shame or she's not welcome to. Don't know. So Jesus says, will you give me a drink? This is, he is a Jewish rabbi male. Um, men don't speak with women alone. Jews don't deal with Samaritans. And rabbis are not talking with this lower caste of people. He's breaking all of these social norms, ethnically, religiously, gender-wise, all of that. And when he says, will you ask me for a drink? And Jesus says, help me. He's asking her for hospitality, which what respectable Jewish male rabbi would do that uh, by a Samaritan woman, of, of her, especially one of ill repute. Jesus is breaking all of the social norms. He would have been better off being thirsty, but he wants to give her the chance to offer hospitality. And then, and then he says, if you knew who I was, you'd ask me and I would give you a drink. Jesus turns around and says, I would have given you the same hospitality, even though I shouldn't. Jesus doesn't care about the cultural norms or the gender norms or the religious. He's like, I, if you'd have asked me for it, I'd have, I'd have done the same to you. I would have stepped off of this cultural pedestal I'm supposed to be on and washed your feet the same way I'm going to do with my disciples before I hit the cross. Jesus is just, in this moment, he's just loving her in a way that just doesn't make any sense. And his disciples weren't ready for her. So he sent them ahead, you know, to the grocery store to go buy some chips or something. Said, come back later. I got work to do. Right? So uh, it was a beautiful thing. He welcomes the unwelcome. He goes where he shouldn't go, which was scary for some, uh, for multiple reasons, and he does what others won't do. And the question is, do we live like that? Do I? Do you? I think all of us have, if we're honest, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand, all of us have a list, honest, of certain people or places or situations that we don't want to go to. Any honest saints in the room that would say, yeah, I've got a list. That I don't want to go there. I don't want to deal with this. I don't want to talk about that issue. Or even if you'll be honest and say those type of people, I don't care how inclusive you are, you've got somebody that you don't naturally going to go hang out with, right? It can be political. It can be religious. It can be geographical. It can be something that triggers you from something you went through. But all of us have a list of I'm going to probably go here first and there last. Yes? So Jesus breaks all that up in this moment. Um, I'll just briefly tell you this, this story. I, you might have heard it in the song, or I, I, made, I might have shared it last time, but this has become, my deepest pain has become my biggest point of ministry. So my father uh, became addicted to drugs and alcohol when I was in the womb, 
uh, and he wasn't the guy my mom married 10 years prior. He just stumbled and, and, and fell and, and just messed his life up and got addicted. So by the time I was five, after three failed rehab attempts, my mother had to make the impossible decision of, do I save my marriage or do I save my son? And she moved from Kansas City, Missouri, back to Virginia Beach, got me out of there. My dad went back to D.C. and lived an addicted, drunk, junkie life. At 20, he reaches out to me. And he says, I, I, I didn't see my dad until 20 years old. I need to apologize for what I did. So he comes down to Virginia Beach, we have dinner, and we have a great time. We laugh, we joke, we, all that stuff. It was fantastic. And my mom is my buddy, man. That's my, that's my, that's my ace. But, but she is, we're not wired the same. My dad, I was like, wow, I'd never seen me like that, personality-wise. At the end of that dinner, it went so well, he felt comfortable saying, would you forgive me? He came to me for a hug. And all of my anger came back, and I pushed him. I said, don't ever touch me. I'll never forgive you for what you did to me. I sent him back to D.C. packing. And he would call and try to talk, and I'd cuss him out, hang up the phone. I was just having a good time, finally hurting him back. I'm not with Jesus at this time. I'm not in church, by the way. And even if I was, I probably would have still did the same thing because I was hurt. To make a long story short, a lady walks into my office uh, six months after this and says, hey, uh, I don't know what's going on with you, but God told me to come in here and tell you if you don't get that bitterness out of your heart, you will not make it into the kingdom of heaven. First off, very rude. <laughs> it's like a Tuesday, like don't tell me I'm going to hell on Tuesday, like what are you doing, right? But, uh, <laughs> but secondly, I was like, all right, I'm not really following Jesus, but I should pay attention. I called my dad three months after that. I said, I forgive you, I love you, let's figure this out. Um, and we had a great, and I, you could feel chains fall off of this man's shoulders, and really mine too, because forgiving people is, is, is freeing. Uh, but I didn't know that'd be the last time we spoke. And right after that phone call, he passed away. That was our last time speaking to each other. And I was faced with, God, what are you doing if you're there? And it really made me realize I, I, I needed to forgive him, but I need you to forgive me. And that moment actually brought me to Christ and back to the church and back in the mission. So my point with all that is I had to go somewhere personally. I didn't want to go deal with things I didn't want to deal with so that I could start to be molded into the person that God desired for me to be. And I think we all are on that journey. You may have had deep sin done against you or you may have done deep sin against somebody else, and you may need to forgive, and you may need to repent, but I'm promising you, if you'll deal with it, go through the steps, go through the spiritual maturation, get the mentorship you need, go through the counseling you need, and deal with those things, there is, on the other side of that temporary pain, something God wants to free you up for and prepare you for that you won't be ready to receive if you don't deal with the stuff. Sometimes your Samaria is dealing with the things you don't wanna deal with. I had to deal with my dad. And because of that, God called me to some other things I think that I was freed up to hear him about that I don't know if I would have been otherwise. We go back to verse 16. The woman at the well proceeds to ask Jesus a bunch of religious questions and uh, try to throw him off, off his course because he's, 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 he's digging into some stuff. And, and uh, oh, that's later, excuse me. Uh, he, he says, hey, hey uh, go call your husband and come back. In verse 17, I have no husband, she replied. And this is when Jesus says, you're right to say you have no husband. The fact is, You've had five. And the man you have now is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. 
I don't know if Jesus is saying you got six or I'm talking about the fifth one. Don't know. But first off, rude. <laughs> you know what I mean? But what Jesus is doing, I think, is, is, is touching her right at her biggest pain point to free her up for something she can't see coming. And, and notice before he did that, he offered, he, he received hospitality, put himself in a vulnerable place by asking for her help and offered her the same thing back. Jesus came with full of grace and then here full of truth, that's John 1, uh, before he even brought this hard truth. Jesus does not shy away from saying hard things and hard truth. We want to put the gospel in political and religious boxes of left and right and liberal and conservative, and Jesus won't allow himself to be boxed in. It's just kingdom. He's going to say things you love. He's going to say things you don't like. And if he's the king, you got to deal with it and don't just receive the stuff you like. Amen? Amen, America, with an election coming up next year? Hello? All right, I'm not going to do that. I want to get invited back. I'll be quiet. So he tells her this heavy truth. I had to deal with my father wound, and then I got into ministry, stepped out into full-time ministry, and God started sending me places and going places, and I was having a great time. I'm doing concerts and conferences and, 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 and all this stuff, right? And, and I, I, kept, I started telling the story about my dad. I was seeing people get freed by learning, man, I got to deal with my stuff. So God's sending me places. I'm telling my story that God is freeing people just through the strength of my story. So I'm so glad God freed me up to tell it because now I have something to tell. And now it's, hey, man, there's freedom on the other side of this. But what started to happen is I started to get ashamed of my story. Why? Because I started get, and just give me a moment here. I started getting invited to a lot of predominantly white spaces. And I felt like I was the stereotypical black kid with the absent drug-addicted daddy and fulfilling all of the judgmental stereotypes that culture had placed on me. And I'm like, I'm ashamed. I don't want to tell all these white people that my dad was on drugs and I was left alone. So I, start, I started pulling my story back. I'm not saying that for any other reason, just to give you a window into what I was dealing with in ministry. And so I go to this camp in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and I'm about to perform in front of it. It's in Myrtle Beach. It's a beautiful place. It's, I've never been here before. It looks super wealthy. I've never, you know, so I'm, I'm around all of the it's privileged, if you have that term triggers you or not, whatever, like 600 privileged churches, white kids, and I'm about to rap, and I'm like, I'm definitely not telling my story because I don't want to fulfill a stereotype, and I don't want to feel ashamed. I'm not telling my story. And God is just hammering me in my room. Tell your story tonight. And I'm like, God, no. That always works out well, by the way. If you just... <laughs> I get on stage, I do my stuff, I rap a little bit, and I just, I just can't fight the Holy Spirit's like, trust me, bro, do this. I don't know if that's how the Holy Spirit talks, but when he talks to me, it's trust me, bro. So I tell my story, and I'm trembling. I'm, I'm, I'm nervous, man. I just, I don't want to be that drug-addicted black kid. I just, I'm tired, like, right? Um, and then I ask a question I've never asked before. I say, hey, how, how many of y'all have abandonment, father issues, or daddy wounds, or you, you, you don't know where your dad is, or whatever? Raise your hand. 60% of the hands in that room went up. And uh, immediately on stage, I said, Father, forgive me. Because the judgment I was afraid of, I was judging them with. I'm very sorry. I'll never stop telling my story again. Because I learned when God sent me to that place in that moment that sin doesn't segregate. Sin doesn't segregate. I believe that we got all types of issues and all that. That's a talk for another. I believe in a lot of the systemic da-da-da-da. But at the end of the day, man, we just people trying to figure this stuff out and follow Jesus. And we got to treat people as such. So here's a thought. God will take you through Samaria 
not to deal with the Samaritans, but to deal with you. What if God will send you somewhere you don't want to go, to a place that wasn't on your plan, to something that's uncomfortable? Maybe you do want to go there, but it's very uncomfortable. It doesn't make sense. You don't have the money. You don't have the re- and God will send you there anyway, not to go and do all of the stuff you have on your mind first, but to deal with you and your biases and your insecurities and the stuff you haven't taken to God and the stuff you thought you dealt with but you didn't or the experience that God needs you to get for the thing he hasn't told you about yet, you don't know. We are only called to follow him. He says, follow me. Where? Come and see. Sometimes God will send you to Samaria to deal with you. Verse 25, the woman said, uh, and Jesus did all this, and then they go through this little theological thing, and Jesus tells her that all of these walls are about to be torn down. And the woman says, I know the Messiah called Christ is coming, and when he comes, he'll explain everything. And Jesus said, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Jesus had a very busy schedule. He could have revealed himself to anybody. He kept telling people, be quiet, don't say who I am. He talks to Peter later on and says, I'm the Christ, and they get this big revelation. But he tells this lowly Samaritan woman, I'm the Christ you've been waiting for. And because he had spoke, he'd showed her this great love and grace, he'd spoken this great truth to her in the gospel, uh, and then he says, listen, I'm, I'm him. Like, I haven't told anybody yet, but I'm telling you, a woman of ill repute that comes at noon in shame because she can't hang with the other women in her village and the Jews don't want to deal with you and men don't want to talk to you, not unless they want to shack up with you and take advantage of you and move on. I'm, gonna, I'm not even telling my disciples yet. I'm telling you that I'm the Christ. And by the way, this story is going to be remembered forever for thousands of years uh, because you're important. What if God sends you to Samaria to deal with you? The dis- I'm not going to read all this. The, dis- the disciples come back. And, uh, and, and they see Jesus talking, and it says they were shocked, which proves that they weren't supposed to be there. Uh, they said no, they were afraid to ask him, why are you talking with this woman, and all that stuff. Uh, and, and, and the woman runs off and becomes Jesus' first evangelist, right? And she says, come see this man who told me everything I ever did. That's counterproductive. I don't want folks in my business, and neither do you. But she says, I met the guy who told me everything I ever did, and in context, loved me anyway, revealed himself to me. He spoke to me when y'all wouldn't. And then he, he said, he's the Christ, come and see. And an entire, entire city or town of people who didn't like to deal with this lady, probably, I'm not trying to superimpose too much, came out and met Jesus because when Jesus came to Samaria, he turned her life around. And then she started to turn others' lives around. And then it says, many more came. And then they asked Jesus to stay two days and many more believed just because she allowed Jesus to deal with her stuff in the moment when she didn't want to. God will take you through Samaria to deal with you, but he will also take you through Samaria to deal with everybody else around you. I don't know where God is calling you to go. I don't know what he wants to deal with in you to make you effective when you get there. I don't know if your calling is geographical or vocational or whatever it may be, I, I, just, I just know that there's going to be some outside of your comfort zone, regardless of where you go. Um, you heard him mention the Safe House Project. I'm going to land here and wrap up as quickly as possible. But um, I went to South Africa in 2016. I was invited uh, by my pastor to go. I didn't even pray about it. He said, Africa. I said, yeah, and hopped on the plane. There was no discernment. I just left. It was great. Um, <laughs> we hopped on the plane, and we got to do some concerts and some racial reconciliation talks and all that. But we started, we, we, and I'm having a good time. I liked going here. This wasn't a comfort zone thing. It was having fun. But it was a different Samaria for me. 
we're here and, uh, and, and we're in this orphan care center and I see vulnerable children everywhere, but they're being loved on and taken care of and it's beautiful. Um, and my heart goes out because I just see fatherless kids like me. And, and so I'm, I'm holding on to a little girl and, and we're, just, then we're just hanging out and I'm talking to Dr. Marsh and I says, hey, what else do y'all need here? This is beautiful. And Dr. Marsh says, well, we really need a safe house. So well, what, why, what's that? And then she began to tell me in vivid detail how their girls grow up and develop and become targets for traffickers to be sold, kidnapped, and abused. And I'm holding this little girl who's two years older than my daughter at the time, and I'm like, so you mean I could come back and she might be gone? And she said, yeah. We can't protect them when they walk home. They have to get here every day. And so I'm on the plane ride back. I can't sleep. I'm, I'm, this, this is just taking me back to a deep, I've never been trafficked, never been sexually abused, but I'm just like, I see the vulnerability, like, and, it, and, it's, and, it's, and it's tapping into my pain. Now, I'm, this could be a, man, God, send somebody to fix it, and that's okay. If it's not my calling, that's cool. You can't fix everything, and everything that you feel or are empathetic for, you can't deal with. You've got, capa- you've got limited human capacity. But it started to wreck me. My wife says, I got off that plane, I came home, and I was depressed for a month and I was no good. And when I came out of that funk, I stood in front of my church, I said, I don't know what we have to do, but we gotta get this house up. I'm gonna make an album, that's all I know how to do is rap. I don't have any money, but we gotta get this house up, and we gotta go back, and we gotta, and all, all I see in my face is this little girl. That's all I see in my face. And um, just to make a long story short, because you guys gotta get to class, um, we, uh, we started to, to fundraise and people started to send checks and we're doing concerts I'm like, don't pay me, donate. Just, just, we gotta get this hundred grand up. And my friend Christy's like, this is beautiful. And she's helping me administrate things. And she says, when this is done, what do we do to duplicate this in America? There's 300,000 kids a year here and we only rescue 1% of them. I was like, really? I didn't know. And let's, let's start a thing here. And you be the CEO and I'll step back because I'm called to start it, I'm not called to run it. And just to make a long story short, in 2019, we got the house up in South Africa. It's up today, praise God. And South Safe House Project has become a national organization that is legislating. They're in D.C. right now, or this weekend, excuse me, uh, working with politicians on all sides. Like, what do we do to end trafficking by 2030 in America? We're, we're, we're supporting houses across the country, helping them start up, adding beds to the national landscape, rescuing vulnerable children, and getting them recovery so they can go out and be. And most of our staff are, are, are survivors. That started from a deep, deep pain. It was, I was like, God, I don't want to go here, or God, take me through it, but do something beautiful on the other end of it. God will take you where you don't want to go to do the thing you think is impossible. I need you. I got other points, but I'm, I'm going to stop. I need you. I'm never going to ask you to be brave enough. I'm just going to ask you to trust God is good enough to lift your hand up and say, whatever you need to deal with in me, do it and give me the strength to go through it. Not so I can go through this pain, but help me not to avoid this discomfort, this mo- these temporary afflictions so that I can be who you've called me to be, do what you've called me to do, say yes when you've called me to say yes, have my eyes and ears open that aren't blocked by my sins or the sins done to me. I need to lay this down at the cross and just be available so when you say go, I can go. When you say do, I can do. When you speak, I can hear. And when you say follow, I can come. And maybe you're Samaritan as, per- Samarit- Samarit- as personal, uh, but maybe it's vocational or geographical. That's for you and God to work out. 
And if you're able to come to Vespers tonight, I, I got another framework to hopefully help with that. But um, my prayer for you, friends, is that you would just trust him wherever he wants to take you. Amen? Let me pray for you. Father, I just want to thank you for my brothers and sisters here, wherever you're taking them, uh, whether it is a grand dream of overseas or starting an org or partnering here, being a part of that, whether it doesn't quote-unquote feel as big because it's a, it's a quote-unquote smaller task in that, but that's what you have assigned for them, and it can't get done without them doing what you've called them to do. God, give them the strength to follow you in that direction. Even if you're taking them there to radically do something different to take them somewhere else they can envision. If it has something to do with their degree or nothing to do with their degree, but you've got experience and relationships here that you're molding and forming in them to prepare them for another thing, God, use their gifts, skills, and talents to take them to the places you want them to go. But before I pray, you give them the confidence in you to deal with the stuff they don't want to deal with, the unforgiveness, the hurt, stuff that they've done or stuff that's been done to them, to lay it down at the feet of the cross, stuff that even they thought they dealt with. Give them the strength to say, God, am I done with this? What else is there here? Sanctify me further and draw me more into your image and who you want me to be. So that, God, when you say, hey, follow me into Samaria, they can say, man, you were good in Jerusalem and Judea. I know you'll be good there. I'll follow you there too. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Legend. It was so good. Thanks for listening to the Bethel University Chapel podcast. Subscribe to the podcast and get more information at chapel.betheluniversity.edu or check us out on the iTunes store by searching for Bethel University Chapel.